now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Hey, Mark Larson, thank you and welcome to Ron Real Radio, Southern California. I'm a host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Appreciate you all tuning in tonight. I think we have a fun, informative show lined up for you tonight, but before we get to it, you know... Let me introduce to you, first of all, the co-hosts of Ron Real Radio. First, this gentleman is one heck of a fisherman in his own right. And if you are looking to insure anything, including your bass boat or your saltwater-going boat, he is the voice of 1-800-BASS-BOAT, Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, how you doing tonight, sir? Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I have been house cleaning, trying to get uh, clean out the garage, so I can put the boat in the garage again. <laughs> it's been a chore. It's it's something that happens even before spring, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I figured, you know, I, I, I usually leave it in the RV during the season, but with rain coming, I'm going, that ain't going to work. But you know how that is. If you leave your garage uh, empty, somehow things get thrown in there that you got to get out. <laughs> hey, well, Stan, let me uh, introduce our audience to also... The other co-host of Rod Real Radio, she is the national sales manager for Iserline, represents many other fine products in the fishing industry, and she's a voice of a lot of the fishermen out there, Ms. Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, and I'm actually doing the exact same thing Stan's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I've got a container that I rented for a whole month, so I'm going <laughs> to be working on it. It just gets that our, our, our stuff just starts bulging out all over the place, and our significant others, after a little while, just get on our you-know-what's going, hey, you've got to take care of this, or you can't buy anything else. Well, you know, the good thing we, was we had the guy on last week from the Southern California or Southwest Collectors Association, and I should call him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, we've got a great show lined up uh, for you. Our first guest is going to be Marco Malikatin. He is from the California Sports Fishing League. We're going to talk about uh, some of the public policies that are contributing to what we believe is the decline of our sports fishing experience here in California. We'll have uh, Marco right on, uh, with us right off the bat. But coming up at 6 o'clock, we're also going to have pro angler Dean Rojas with us. 
Not only is Dean getting ready for the 2016 Bassmaster Classic, we'll talk a little bit about his preparation and the road to getting there, but he is celebrating the 15th anniversary of a record-breaking program that he was involved in. We're going we're gonna to go back down memory lane a little bit and talk about that. But also, Jim Nelson will be with us fresh off the Bay Bass Tournament. We'll talk about that. Also, Wendy and I, we've got some comments to make about the Bay Bass Tournament. And Phil Friedman, as always, will be in with an up-to-date SoCal saltwater report. So there's a lot to do tonight, guys. And why don't we get right to our first guest? As I mentioned before, he is with the California Sports Fishing League, Mr. Marco Malikotin. And, Mark, go welcome to Rod and Real Radio, sir. Well, thank you very much for having me as a guest. Oh, it's always good having you because you guys, you are on, on top of some of the things that are, that are really becoming very irritating to the, the sports fishing uh, uh, uh personnel here in in california both from fishing and hunting we're talking about fishing right now and one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is we had talked about some of the public policies that are coming on down to that are really encroaching upon our fishing experience and i i guess the the main thing is is this incredible situation with the California fishing licenses. Tell us about, uh, give us a, an update on, on what's happening uh, and and tell us about what uh, some of the occurrences are, uh, Marco. Right. Well, you know, as you mentioned, our organization serves really as uh, the angler's government watchdog. So we're always looking for ways to make fishing more accessible and more affordable. And measuring fishing license sales is probably one of the most accurate ways to, to measure participation. So last year we uh, conducted a, a study uh, which came to the conclusion that since 1980, annual fishing licenses have declined over 55%. And in 2015, it uh, declined uh, another 2%. So this trend is continuing, and it, and it really doesn't have to be this way. I mean, our state has one of the longest coastlines, over 4,000 lakes and thousands of rivers and streams. And some of these, uh, you know, some of the contributors to the decline are you know, either Mother Nature, a result of Mother Nature, or social changes, but a lot of it is government-induced, and, and it's really sad that uh, this is the direction we're going. Well, I think it's actually common sense, <laughs> if they would listen. Obviously, uh, common sense and government are, are miles apart. But when you start talking to people that say, you know, I'd like to get a fishing license, and, and it's, you know, May, or it's, it's June, or it's December, <laughs> and you tell them, okay, uh, you can get a you know a two day or you can get a ten day or whatever one week or or you if you if it's gonna if you want it for longer than that and you want a regular fishing license you're gonna be gone for uh, a week or two or three you have to pay the full tilt boogie for the license and it only takes you like if you wanted it in the first of December you'd have to buy the full license and pay sixty six bucks or whatever that is and you get it for a month and then you have to renew it and renew it in January and people have just got smart about this one. Why would I do that if I if it's halfway through the year or partially through the year and you want to buy a license, you have to pay full tilt boogie and it's only a, a short-term license either way. So it, it's gotten to be kind of a, a thorn in the flesh of most people. I talk to the people all the time. I was on the lake yesterday in a tournament. There were people fishing on the on the shore and the, the guys were out there from the uh, rangers that were checking licenses and I talked to one of them afterwards and he 
I go, so how many people did you give tickets to today? He goes, you don't get many of them in the first of the year, but you get a lot of them as you go through the year because people don't want to pay a full price for the license. Yeah, our, our analysis basically, uh, you know, reached three uh, three conclusions. Or essentially, it's cost as a contributing factor, value, Stan, I think, as you point out, and access. So, you know, what our study showed is that California has the most expensive annual licenses or calendar licenses in our case, and then it can add up to anywhere up to $100 worth permits, and that's just extraordinary. And I think what you're hearing from anglers is that they're paying more and more every year but getting less. And then you mentioned the fact that in California, we have a calendar-based system. You know, your license basically expires in December of every year, no matter how long you held it, instead of like a driver's license that's valid for a full 12 months. And um, a lot of other states are actually moving in that direction because while they can't reduce the prices of their license, if you add value, they have found that not only does it increase fishing license sales, but also revenue that comes to the state budget, which is important to fuel the cost of fisheries and fishing conservation programs. And then I think lastly, which I think a lot of people are well aware of, is access. There's so many unnecessary regulations. There are fewer fishing lakes. Um, cities like Manhattan Beach or Hermosa are um, applying pier restrictions or are trying to outright ban fishing from the piers, which makes it very hard in urban areas if you don't have access to jetties and piers, and then marine protected areas. And just a few weeks ago, uh, the state announced a plan where they may postpone the opening of the MPAs maybe for another 10 years. They don't have the money to assess whether the MPAs have worked and whether they can be open to fishing anytime soon. Yeah, this is really a frustrating thing because the director of the Department of Fish and Game says, oh, sure, even though uh, the uh, number of fishing licenses that are being sold are, again, down another 5,000 to 2015, you know, we are still we still have a financially sound system and we have enough money to, to support all our recreational needs. And then you talk about something else and they don't have the money for this, they don't have the money to do that. Uh, it it just seems like why why are they so resistant to going to a 365 day license? I mean, the Mexicans do it. Right. Well, you know what? If if the state of California or the department was run like a business, and you found that your sales have dropped off 55 percent, you would be sounding the alarms. You would be circulating your. Uh, your sales team and say, hey, what's going on and what is our plan? <laughs> and the department doesn't have one, and they don't seem concerned about it. And, and, and you know, I Well, there you go, thinking the government but... understands running a business. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no understanding or business sense in the government, uh, because you're exactly correct. If, if it was my business and I see we're dropping off, I'm going, what the heck happened and how we changed this up? The simplest thing would be to do what you've just been saying. You know, if we, if they say, all right, let's make it a, uh, the annual license. If you buy one, it, it, if it renews on the date that you buy it the next year, that makes it real simple for people. But when you, when people are looking at, you know, I haven't got a lot of money. Uh, things are, are have been depressed since '05. It, it, it's been gone downhill, not uphill. Uh, most people are having to work two jobs. Um, and you get the situation where now it, it costs you. If you wanted to to buy a fishing license in June, you know you get 
taken by that full $66 if you want the full tilt boogie on your license, and it only lasts until December. I mean, people get it, but the problem is the government doesn't. I mean, and then we had a guy, i got to tell the story. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. The, uh, we had a guy that was um, on the bank, because that's where I, we were just fishing outside on, in the tournament, and actually heard one of the rangers, this guy, was asking about uh, his his uh, this gentleman on the shoreline, you know, his his license. And he goes, well, where'd you get it? He goes, well, my wife got it for me. He goes, well, you, that's not right. And and he goes, well, she's been buying it for me for 35 years, <laughs> just like that. I get one every year for Christmas. And the guy, he had a license. Everything was fine. And he said his wife takes his driver's license and he got his social security, goes to the to the store wherever he bought it from, and but the ranger was actually arguing with him because he had a license. He just didn't like the way he bought it. I'm going, you know, that doesn't make any. If you go online, it doesn't make any difference. Sometimes you got to uh, the dealing with the situation has to be dealt with at the government level. I don't care how you do it, but that doesn't help any when you get that kind of attitude out on the lakes or or on the in the outdoors. So uh, we got a little bit of work to do either way. Well, changing standards. the way that they do the licenses so that if you buy a license, it lasts for a year, so you get the full value of it, just makes common sense. Well, stand the well, so One of the reasons that the department doesn't want to do that and what they've stated is because uh, for that reason, so then everyone starts buying their, their license in the beginning of the year, and that's where they generate most of their money that, that they need. Um, and... And like you said, Stan, at the end of the year, a lot of people aren't buying those licenses because, and, and are just going fishing because they don't want to spend that money. Yeah. So a lot of people are buying it in the beginning of the year and hoping to use it. Yeah, but, you know, guys, and, and Marco, you can address this. We've got a bigger problem coming on out. The uh, There is a commission that makes recommendations to the Department of Fish and Game on policies that are either pro or or uh, hunting, or conservative, or whatever it is, and we've just lost three of the pro members, pro hunting and fishing members, off of that board, and these are the people that recommend to the Department of Fish and Game, because they don't have the money to do any of the uh, the research, or the science, or anything like that, and now we're going to have our illustrious governor He's going to be in charge of putting members on the board, and we already have members there that aren't hunters or fishermen. And and it looks like we're going to take another big hit here. No, you're absolutely right. And just for your own background, I used to work years ago for Governor Pete Wilson, and I was responsible for advising him on people to appoint to this very commission. And for for your listeners, I mean, this is a body of five people that votes up or down on access, to fishing. I mean, they set the policy for the state of California. And there was a great article this past week, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle, on how anglers and hunters are no longer represented on this commission. And one of the few remaining quit out of frustration. And I would strongly encourage your listeners to, to call or email the governor because I don't know how he can get any sound advice on recreational fishing which has a profound impact on our economy and jobs, if nobody there even has a fishing license. 
I know. It, and, and if you see the history of commissions, the governor, he points, uh, let's say, a, a would-be or should-have-been politician or a termed-out politician. Instead of going into private practice and, and doing something, they get uh, appointed to a board that they don't know anything about. Maybe it's the Air Resources Board. Maybe it's the Water Quality Board. And these guys get shuffled around, and then they get termed out. And instead of... Again, going back into the you know the private sector, they get appointed to another board. So by you know the time they get to the Fish and Game Commission, you've got someone that's maybe been on the Air Resources Board and been on this board or that board, and now it's time for them to be uh, on another board, and they know nothing about what's happening with that particular constituency there. It and it's getting worse and worse because as you mentioned. MLPA is coming up for review again. And who's going to review it? The Fish and Game Commission. And who's going to make the recommendation? It's the people around that board. And what are they going to use as uh, source information to make a recommendation? Marco? Well, it's going to be a staff report. <laughs> a yeah. bunch of government bureaucrats who are not listening to us. And, and, and they have to listen because they have a vested interest in fishing license sales being successful because – Fishing license sales finance this department, and they're facing a death spiral. So last year, um, the department said that if fishing license sales decreased another 3%, they stood to lose over $3.5 million in federal grants. These are grants that are financed by um, fishing fishing, uh, sales taxes uh, as well as uh, motorboat fuels. And so if they lose... If, if fishing licenses continue to decline, they get less federal money as well, and that means, again, their department is going to be facing some serious budget cuts. So they have well, and then not only that, you know, you worry about they're heading towards public-private partnerships, and so you worry about that, and you look and see what's going on now. But when you get back to the MPAs, you have to deal with citizen science, which they should not use. Explain yeah, that. There's Wendy. a lot of challenges, and I, you know, again, the economy is rebounding. Apparently, the uh, state budget has more revenue than in years past. They claim that um, you know, fishing license revenue is stable, yet when it comes to important matters that impact recreational fishing, they profess poverty. They're just not consistent. Yeah, because they're they're 230 billion in the deficit when it comes to uh, uh, funding pensions and everything like that. Uh, and we're paying, let's say, more for gasoline in the state of California than most anywhere, maybe with the exception of Alaska and Highway and uh, Alaska and uh, um, Hawaii. They can't bring in enough uh, revenue now because of the price of gas going down a little bit in California to even begin to start fixing our roads here. So what they want to do? They want to add more taxes to gasoline here. Uh, and you have, you have I just I just got back from driving back and forth to Texas. Just just for your information, it, as soon as you pass into Arizona, it goes down at least a dollar a gallon. When you go into Texas, it's it's down another. I paid a dollar sixty a gallon in Texas. And the roads were pretty good in Texas, weren't they, Stan? I I had no issues anywhere, <laughs> but but uh, you know, and I was the people. I had a motorhome, and I pulled into the gas pumps there, and 
all the people were going, how much does it cost? You know, why are you smiling? You know, that's got to cost you a lot of money. I go, you know, it, it costs me the same amount to fill up this motorhome here in Texas as it does my truck in California. I'm happy man. <laughs> hey, uh, Marco Malikatine uh, with the uh, California Sports Fishing League. Tell us a little bit uh, just quickly about the league. How can we find out more about what you're doing and help support you? Yeah, how do we get this done and uh, what do we need to do to help? That, that's the big thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's important that we shed light on this problem, but we also have a responsibility to propose solutions. So we are supporting legislation offered by Senator Tom Berryhill that will change uh, the life, fishing license system from a calendar system to one that is valid for a full 12 months. Uh, we're going to obviously be watching very closely what happens with the California Fish and Gaming Commission and encourage the governor to appoint an angler. So go to our website at uh, sportfishingconservation.org. We also have a Facebook page. It's a great place for you to be informed, and it also offers you tools should you choose to uh, become engaged in the political process. You have a voice. It's time for us to speak up. All right. Marco, we appreciate you being with us. Thanks for taking some of your Sunday to alert us to the situation, if you will. Let us call you from time to time as these situations come on up, and let's talk about them and talk about how we can get actively involved in making a difference. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hey, Stan, Wendy, uh, Stan and Wendy are with me tonight. Uh, coming up next, what the heck is Phil thinking? You're listening uh, to us on AM540 or at rodreelradio.com. Stay tuned. Still a lot more show to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks no matter what you're hauling or towing for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert now get special savings on every f-series truck in stock 150s 250s 350s at el cajon ford we have commercial trucks too including the all-new transit connect finally a commercial van with great mileage helping your business get moving again el cajon ford worth the short drive from anywhere in southern california broadway and east main at el cajon or online anytime anywhere at el Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter-day, full- and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. 
Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and to secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters. The PTA design has the new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag. Quantum fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to BalloonFisherKing.com for further information. It's a big deal. You know, I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. And we do want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. Stan and Wendy are with me tonight. I'm your host, Hopalong John Cassidy. And, and just as a side note, you know, Ron Real Radio has been on the air for 15 years. Stan, you've been with them since the beginning. Wendy, same with you. You, you know, we've all been on radio before that. And it just seemed like there, there was a time that we could get on and we could talk about the joy of fishing and, and going out here and hunting this and everything like that. And, it's just changed because now we're talking about the politics of fishing and that if we as fishermen do not do something, the whole face of what we grew up with is not going to be there, and it'll be radically changed. Well, you're exactly correct. I mean, over the last at least 10 years, our state and our government has done everything <laughs> that uh, they can, and plus the outside groups that don't want us to be involved with fishing have done everything that they can to try to shut that down for families in general. I mean, they blamed, you know, the uh, offshore fishing in Northern California and Southern California where there was they couldn't find rockfish during a season when the rockfish weren't there on hook-and-line fishermen that were fishing off the bank, basically, because mom and pops. But if you look at the mom and pops that are out there fishing or the people that have their boats, for the most part, they aren't taking numbers, you know. And yeah. so it's been a – the excuses we get are completely a lie. And hey, Wendy, you, you know this better than anybody else. We're coming to a situation now in California that – the entity that has the most money to make their voice heard in Sacramento is going to be the entity that dictates policy. And it's not been the recreational fishermen for the, the past few years. Well, you know, one of the problems that I did see, especially when um, I served as a re- they've infiltrated, they've become part of the department, and, and now we're starting to see to not be involved. We don't have Kellogg. We don't have Bayless. We don't have Rich. 
Dan Richards. We don't have any uh, Sonky. We don't have any of those guys helping us out anymore. We need to get back in the game. All right. Hey, let's bring on the next segment. It's time for What the Heck is Phil Thinking? With the voice of Phil Friedman Outdoors, Mr. Phil Friedman. And, Phil, I'm sorry to take up some of your time, but I know you probably also have a couple of words to say about this subject. Wendy, Stan, and John, and everybody, it's great to be with you. Absolutely. I mean, it's a very, very scary situation we're entering into here now with the board so dramatically changed. And uh, it's, uh, it's a time to get organized. It's a time to demonstrate and let environmentalists know that, uh, that the best environmentalists are the people that are out on the water. They are the ones who are saying, hey, you know, you can't throw that line in the water. You can't uh, keep that fish. You have to return that fish. Here's the proper way to do it. And I think if we emphasize that instead of looking for these altercations that are inevitable losses at times because of the power and the organization of the other side, if we look for a little bit of common ground once in a while and take that back, I mean, some of the greatest environmentalists of the last couple of centuries were people in the outdoors who love the outdoors. And that's where I think we should be headed. And I think if we can do that and demonstrate that to the public, uh, we're going to be uh, in fine shape. Uh, the, the, you know, I mean, I spent, uh, I'll tell you all about my weekend and being in the outdoors and, and the people that I was with and the great outdoorsmen and, and people that are concerned about our environment. And I, I really think that's the future, John, to, to not let that get stolen away from us, that, that because we're fishermen and hunters and people that enjoy the great outdoors doesn't mean that we, we uh, are going to mistreat the environment. It's al contraire. It's exactly the opposite. It's a love that you have for the great outdoors that keeps you wanting to go back and back for more. When you come down to it, Phil, those are the people that pay for the licenses, and those are the people that pay for the products to go outside and enjoy the outdoors. And, and actually, that is a group of people that, that understand what's going on uh, and and they've been involved a lot of a lot of them all their lives. I mean, this is the situation where your parents were they enjoy the outdoors and they taught you, but they, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. These things that are coming up now, the government it's completely against everything that the outdoorsmen and they're they're thinking the wrong way. I'm with you. Yeah, if you don't have somebody that understands it. You, you're lost. It, you might as well put somebody in your position that never been involved with fishing and put them on the radio for you. And, and it's always been the outdoor enthusiast that has helped the conservation program, whether you talk about Ducks Unlimited and what they've done for for hunting there and, and yes. Friends of Rolla, where it comes into bringing uh, new kids uh, into the sport itself. I I don't know. Has there been an environmental group that has contributed a nickel to bringing kids into fishing? You know, I, I don't think it's happening, and you're, you're finding this all over. Hey, let's uh, let's get on because of the fact there is some fishing to talk about out there, and, and sorry to bring this on up, but, you know, I think it's going to be something we're going that will be crossing our path many, many more times before this show is over uh, in the upcoming years. And, Phil... You know, I appreciate you coming on board. I know you prepared a great report for us because even though we're in the dead of winter here in Southern California, there's still fishing opportunities out there, and there's good fishing opportunities. Don't be so sure I report a great report. You know, <laughs> I, that wouldn't be like me. Hey, one more thing. Teddy Roosevelt, just 
go back and read Teddy Roosevelt. He started all these national parks, and he did it not to close off these areas so no one could ever go into them. He did it so the common man, the little guy, would be able to experience the great outdoors. Teddy Roosevelt was a true outdoorsman. He was a frail kid until he spent a summer, I think it was in Wyoming, and then he ultimately became the president of the United States of America. So, I mean, that's what it's all about, getting kids out there, the military. We've been doing a lot of that lately, and and I can go on and on. Hey, I got about a 1,000-mile report for you, and I'm going to speed it up. I know we're into it. Cabo San Lucas, I just thought I'd tell you, there's some unseasonable great marlin fishing going on down there, even a black marlin recently, and a lot of stripers down there, really good fishing up there in La Paz, just a little bit further up the line. My friend Jonathan Wildan, who's doing the tour right now up here in the United States of all the great uh, places like Fred Hall. He's in Denver, and I think he's headed to Sacramento now. But really great wahoo fishing. They've had billfish. They've even had a few dorado. Then we get up 140 miles south of the border. And oh, another time here, Manuel Castro, who runs Tiburones Bongas and San Quentin, wide open, great yellow action on the yo-yo iron. They are doing a number on some beautiful fish down there. A lot of 15 to 30 pound fish. And then, of course, all the other stuff. You've got sheep's head and big old white fish and and that bite is tremendous. And then you move up another 20 miles to Colinette. And, my God, the Pacific Queen yesterday by mid-morning had 165 big, hard-fighting yellows on the deck, 18 to 30-pound fish, just chewing up the yo-yo iron like you can't believe. And it was as good as it gets on the Queen. And a couple of other guys were in on similar type of fishing down there, really as good as it has been for a while. And it's been good down at Colinette. Don't get me wrong. But this is just phenomenal. In fact, a lot of the guys down there said they are seeing so much more fish now than they have been. It's phenomenal. Buck 65 is a big number and great fishing. A little bit more inconsistent at the Coronado Islands, but you look at the Mission Bell, they just called in a report five minutes ago, 80 yellows for 20 anglers. There's a mix in terms of the size of fish there at the Coronado Islands. You have some of this 5 to 10-pound stuff, real small, yellowtail running around, then every once in a while you get on that 12 to 20-pound stuff. And that is biting the yo-yo iron also really well. Out of Catalina Island, some smaller yellows out there for the Sport King. A handful every day, three, five, seven, ten, like that. And then some perch and stuff like that. You know, you can't keep any rockfish right now. So uh, you've got to steer away from that. So my marathon day yesterday started at 4 a.m. I got up at 4 because we were going to go fish the surf with my son, Philip and a Marine that we met on our Veterans Day trip that we ran out of Oceanside. We chartered the 095 and took the marines out and i met a kid joe patino and joe is a united states marine that god i mean with kids like that uh watching our country we are in such great hands i've loved this guy we became fast friends and we've been spending a lot of time together so joe drove up from oceanside and we surfished for hours and we didn't catch anything but we had a blast i mean we really had a lot of fun and we were talking to everybody else sorry over there and same thing. They're saying, oh, man, fishing, it's tough right now, and, and and it has been a little tough. I will mention Bob Osborne went out in front of our place here in Surfside and caught four really nice yellowfin croaker two days ago. We fished an entirely different area over towards Seal Beach and just didn't do much. So, you know, 4 a.m., I'm getting old. I, I, you know, I'm way past my prime, John. I don't have to explain this to you. You know. And so, you know, 12 noon rolls around, and I'm like looking at that bed and saying, man, that looks kind of nice right now. I'm going to take a nap. My phone rings. It's Joe Gallagher, my partner. And he says, hey, let's take the boat out and go bass fishing. And I'm like, uh, you know, Joe, it'd be a good idea. But 
we need somebody like Dave Dodge or Eddie Leland, one of these captains that really know how to get on these little rocks in the wintertime. And, you know, I know where some of these rocks are, but I really, I'm not that good at getting on them. And, you know, so I kind of got my way out of that and looked at my bed again. And my phone rings right after that, and it's Dave Dodge. Hey, Phil, can we go bass fishing today? So, anyway, <laughs> here we go. 12 noon, I'm on a boat, and we're heading out, and I am just brain dead asleep. We get out there. We, we start to meet her, uh, meet her around. Dave finds this really bitching little rock, and he tells me to get on the anchor. Meanwhile, Joe's in the stern with a buoy that he's going to drop near the, the place so we can, we can have an eye, a landmark or an, uh, a marker so we can see. And he yells, let it go. So, of course, I kick the anchor over, and he says, no, not you, the buoy. So we had to re-pull the anchor and reset, and we sat there for about an hour with a chum bucket in the water, and I'll tell you, Dave Dodge, man, that guy is out of control. The spots he has, we sat there and picked a couple of fish, and it wasn't really going good. And then all of a sudden, we picked a few more bass, and then it got steady and steady. And Joe Gallagher, who was supposed to go to the movies with his wife, the poor thing, at 5 o'clock, was uh, looking at his watch saying, hey, guys, it's 7 o'clock. Come on. <laughs> and we were still wailing on the calico and sand bass until we had limits of bass and Really exceptional wintertime bass fishing. As you said, John, you can really find some great stuff. And, and it was a long day yesterday, but it was certainly worth it. Really, really fun. Speaking of Eddie Leland, another great captain, just called me before I came on air. And he was fishing in Huntington Harbor today and had several really nice big spotted bay bass. He said it was really, really excellent fishing there. So a lot of fun. And as you say, uh, you know, there's nothing like the great outdoors. There's nothing like our united states military there's nothing like getting kids out into the great outdoors and anything that diminishes those opportunities for the common man and that's what this comes down to when they were going to shut down and i ran into wendy over in manhattan beach they were going to shut down the manhattan beach pier that wasn't going to hurt the guy that goes down to cedro so the guy that can pay and go to catalina Island. that was going to hurt the inner city family who goes to that pier to get out into the outdoors. It's a, it's, it's an opportunity for them to get their kids out there. And that's what these kinds of things are going to hurt. And that's why it's so important that we maintain these opportunities for the common guy and for each and every one of us who love the great outdoors and gain so much from it. It's really, really an important time in the history of sport fishing. Well, Phil, if we well, want to Phil, keep up with what's happening what's with happening? Phil Friedman Outdoors and uh, your blog, because you always have pertinent information of what's happening uh, that's up-to-date or interesting stories, how's the best way to do it? John, best way to do it is to go to PFO on Facebook, or you can go to PFORadio.com, and we've got all the very latest there. If you speak Spanish or know somebody who does, we have our radio show on AM 690 on Friday nights at 9, Sunday mornings at 6 on AM 690. Or you can go on Facebook to Aventuras Libre.com. John, Wendy, Stan, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And to all the great folks out there, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. All right. Phil Friedman from Phil Friedman Outdoors. Hey, we ran a little over time there. We're going to make it up in the next segment. Stan, Wendy, and I will be back after these messages. 
Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics. McCoy Line, Spro Products, Gamakatsu Hooks, G. Loomis Fishing Rods, Shimano Products, Ovet Reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My Angler H2O. I will scent my lure with pride. And hope my boss doesn't notice the tan. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed sunken boats and outlast the hard-fighting largemouth bass. I will save water at home for better fishing out here. And always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Hey, and welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. And now it's time for the California Inshore Report. But before we do that, Wendy and I, we were at the Bay Bass Tournament in San Diego Bay this last Saturday. We want to thank not all the fishermen that came on by to visit us. Not only did we were have a Rod and Reel radio booth over there, I was with uh, Angler's Arsenal and Western Plastics. We were introducing the new tenacious swim baits and the weedless jig heads. Wendy was over there talking about Iserline and the Coastal Conservation Association. But we had a lot of people that wanted to say hello to to us uh, that listen to Ron Real Radio and Wendy, you in particular had one listener that I know you want to say hello to. Yes, that's right, John. You know, and it just made my day. And I want to say hello to Terry Pfeiffer and Jim, and thank you for stopping by our booth and introducing yourselves. Uh, we we love it that you listen to us, and uh, we hope that we see you some more. That's thank it, you and listening. you know. Uh, and was it uh, was it uh, Terry that was yes. uh, uh, you know uh, that had served our country in the Navy? Yes, and 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 thank you for bringing that up. Yes, and we I I I really want to thank them for um, serving our country. And he is uh, a three-time Purple Heart Award Ooh. winner, right. awardee. Um, he also has. 
some other things, too, and I, I just can't remember, but thank you for your service. We really appreciate it, both of you, Jim and Terry. Stan, this, this individual came up, a, not only three Purple Hearts, a distinguished service cross, but he was also blind. He is being considered for the Congressional Medal of Honor. And did he want to meet, he listens to Ron Real Radio, but did he want to meet Stan? Did he want to meet Hopalong? No, he wanted to know where the heck Wendy was. You know, he's a smart man. <clears throat> Along with being a hero, he is a smart man. I like this guy. So, everyone, thank you that came by and visited with Wendy and myself at the Ron Real Radio booth and also the Anglers Arsenal and Iserline uh, uh, booths. Hey, Let's get now to the California Inshore Report. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Bay Bass Tournament with none other than the fish icon himself, Captain James Nelson. Captain James, welcome. Hey, thanks again for having me, John. Uh, do we have to talk about the Bay Bass Tournament? Well, you know, <laughs> apparently it was a really good one, huh? You oh, maybe did no. as well as I did in my tournament. <laughs> well, Jim, uh, you know, I... the trick is not letting it show, right? That's it. I, you know, bleed, bleed out where people can't see you. <laughs> well, Captain Jim, I know unless we win an event, sometimes we don't meet our own expectations. But you had. Uh, an experience with a, a couple that I think you want to, uh, you know, relate to our listeners. Um, well, I did have some old vets come. Oh, you you must be talking about Jeff and Skyler. Yes. Yeah, pretty cool. What, about a week or so ago, I took this uh, father and son out, and they, they're up in, they live up in Upland, but they work down Rosarita. They work on movie sets down there, and I uh, took them out in the bay. Took them fishing, and uh, throughout the day talking to them, they got their own boat. They got all their own gear. These guys know how to catch fish. And uh, I was telling about the, yeah, that we have the Bay Bass Tournament coming up and all that, and I knew that uh, Dwayne and Mike were telling me that they still had some openings left, so I said, you know what, you might want to see if you guys can get in on it if you want to. It's a group, great group of guys. It's a good party. You know, I said, no matter how you do on, out on the water, they always feed you. And uh, <laughs> so that was enough for them to, to get interested in it. And so they made arrangements. They got their boat down here, and they they came down, and they went out there and fished. And lo and behold, they actually played. So now they're coming back in April to fish that top 25. They actually got into nice. the money. That's great. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> they, were, they were just so excited. You know, what's really funny is they, they had two fish, like a lot of folks there. I mean, we all know it was tough fishing. Uh, hey. we're, everybody's coming in for that line, so that last minute you got to be in line by two o'clock. And I see them out there, and they say, "You know, we only got two fish. What should we do?" I said, "Put them in a bag and weigh them." <laughs> <laughs> I guess they were thinking that wasn't going to be good enough, but you know, it it was good enough. Hey, you know, and we'd also like to give a shout out to uh, uh, Joe and Mike Israel. They wound up winning the event. I think their total weight was about eleven thirteen. They had a uh, 4.34 big fish. They got big fish of the event. They took over uh, all uh, big fish honors. They they won the fish off and came in second place uh, last year. Uh, and these are two just outstanding young gentlemen that uh, fished this event. They We opened up Angler's Arsenal here in La Mesa in 1999. 
they came in with their dad then. They were just at that time a bunch of young kids that were running around. They were interested in fishing, but they were also interested in getting all the fishing lures and mixing them all up with their hands and everything like that, like the kids do. We've seen them grow up in the past uh, 17 years into quality young men. They're avid fishermen, and we want to congratulate them for doing a great job and thanking them for using Western Plastics products and being part of their success. But uh, Here, here. Here, yeah. here. I'll tell you what. I am a... Stone Cold Brother team fan, because my brother and I have been fishing with each other all our lives. We still fish with each other today, and and it becomes a great, I, I think brother teams are, the, are some of the best, because there's no worrying about if you're sharing the right information or who you're giving your information to. Man, you grow and you work with each other. I think those brother teams are great, so congratulations, guys. Right. Now, Jim, you, you know, were out there. You'd been... Uh, uh, you know, taking clients out during the week, not necessarily pre-fishing, but you got on out there, and it it sounds like you ran into the same situation that Wendy and I, when talking with uh, the fishermen that would come up and visit our our displays there um, uh, at the at the end of the tournament, were saying, "Man, we went through a lot of fish, but trying to find keeper fish was another story." Yeah, absolutely. That's that's you know been. It's kind of funny. The first year that we had that 14-inch uh, size limit imposed, Chuck and I had no problem. And as a matter of fact, most of the people had no problem of catching a five-fish limit. There was uh, a few teams that didn't, you know, probably about, I'd say, a third, which is too many for, for this type of event. It's a charity type of event. It should be a family thing with brothers and fathers and sons out there. So a third of the field didn't have any keepers at all. So there were some of us that just had no problem catching five fish over 14 inches. But a third of the field didn't. So, you know, they imposed a three-fish limit instead, making it a little easier because we want everybody to catch fish in these tournaments. And now it's really hard to catch them. You know, it's just it's just a shame because, you know, <laughs> now you've got more than half of the field not catching 14-inch fish. It's just weird. It's just the, bite, the way the bite's been going. Lately, it's just been a really tough one that way, and it's and it's a shame, you know, because you again on these kind of events, you just want to see everybody catch fish and have a good time. Oh, for and, sure. Well, everyone did have a good about. time, but hey, Stan, does, gonna, doesn't this kind I'm, of smack of freshwater bass fishing where we came into this catch and release uh, mode, and and what has happened is is you don't find as many big fish anymore. You may not necessarily find as many small fish anymore. Now there's more fish kind of like in the middle, and we, we just don't see some of the the big weights and the the teeter fish that we used to see, and, and part of it is because of catch and release. Well, you know, there's you have to add the element of you, you, this. It's not really common sense, but it is scientific, if you want to call it that. Fish only have a it, fish have a life too, and a life expectancy of of living only so many years. And lakes do turn over the older fish; they do die, and and then depending on water levels, like we have, you know, in the lakes here, uh, good years where there's a lot of brush in the in the uh, lakes, you'll have a lot of uh, shad. I mean, everything from the bait fish to the big fish will spawn and grow. If they continue to have higher levels, you have years where 
you have lots of small fish that, that survive, and you have years that not a lot of small fish survive. In the ocean, we've got El Ninos that happen, and warm water events that happen, and cold water events that happen, and it changes the spawning just like it does in the uh, freshwater lakes. So you're going to have ups and downs, and I think this year is a prime example. In your freshwater lakes, you see a lot of lakes are way down in their water levels. You'll see the, and, and a lot of the lakes that had real big fish in them, and I think that San Diego to, to wherever on the west coast, Casitas, Castaic, the afterbait even, the bigger fish die off. They don't live forever, and you have a turnover. And so you have a large population of big fish that at the end of their lifespan, they die off. And now you go back to smaller fish, and they start growing. And, and a lake, you'll see, you know, your big fish are four pounds or three pounds, and then the next year they're five pounds, and the next year they're six or six and a half, seven pounds, and it keeps going. And we're seeing that in our local lakes. Uh, I don't know about San Diego lakes, but I know that there's been a real turnover in lakes uh, of, you know, Casitas and Castaic, um, and the lakes up here where there's been a turnover of that big fish. And, and I think what happens in El Nino systems years, because there's been, I've lived through three of them now, it changes the dynamic of the, of the way that the currents run and the, how the fish move in and out and the, and even the, the spawning season and it, and it changes where the little fish are in here. And there was a great, there must have been a really good, um, at least a couple of years back, a season when all of a sudden the spawning season was real good. There was plenty of kelp there. Okay, that was before the El Nino because after the El Nino, there isn't kelp. So all of this takes an effect on our fishing, and you just kind of have to wait it out. Things change every cotton-picking year. We're we're out here. We watch the, the... tuna coming in, we watched the albacore coming in, the yellowtail, and last year we had wahoo coming in. Same thing's going to happen with our small fish, and, and uh, they just follow bait, and and we have good years where there's great spawning, and there, there's other years that there's not, but it's an interesting thing to kind of watch. If you kept notes on all of your fishing seasons over your lifetime, it, and then make notes about the, these El Nino years, it'll make a difference down the road of how you approach all of your fishing. Well, Jim, I know that people book with you to go out on a trip. There are still plenty of fish out there to be caught. And even though you didn't get into the bigger fish, if you got kids that are off from school or you just want to go out and fish the bays and have a really good time, it's still a good time to do it. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, when I'm not fishing a tournament, uh, we have no problem getting fish. <laughs> Jim, let me ask you a question. You know, you got a lot. There's a lot of fish, a lot of fish movement. Not necessarily a lot of big fish, but there's a lot of small fish that are going to grow big. That's a good thing for our future. Um, with the that being said, last year what was uh, what was the weights we had last year? Does anybody know that? Uh, it wasn't 11 pounds. So really, it wasn't I think 11 those, pounds. No, the uh, no, that uh, winning weight was pretty good. Yeah, we're going to try and have Joe and Mike on next week, but I understand they uh, uh, they got on uh, uh, close to the uh, jetty, even though the out-of-bounds uh, didn't allow you to fish as much of the Zanuga jetty as you liked, and they got into some calico bass, and uh, they also got the big fish of the tournament with uh, a 411, which for this event was a big uh, 
uh, weight, and I think they won the tournament stand by three pounds. So uh, when you have That's 140 boats out there, That's uh, a lot. pretty huge. Yeah, that's hey, huge. I, I think it would be interest, in, interesting to kind of make notes of all of this the last couple of years where it was before we got into the Nino systems. We're going to, it'll be, you know, this year, next year, or, you know, last year, this year, maybe even affect a little bit the year after this. But kind of keep note of that, and uh, we'll just see where it goes. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about this next year after the, the tournament's over, and see what happens with the size of the fish and where they're going from here. Um, this, well, it's always of kind of fun to watch and see how this plays out. Yeah, you know, a lot of it has to do with the presentation of the uh, sand bass. I mean, the presence of them, excuse me, because they, they just they have not been in here this time of year like they normally are this time of year. That's the Nino system, though. Yeah, and so what? And a lot of their their movement has to do again with bait, which again, same thing. You know, we're, it's the same argument we're, we're both making because it's it's if the bait's not going to come in, they're not going to come in when they got food right where they are, and the water's warmer actually on the coastline than it is further back in the bay. Hey guys, so, we got to take a break. Uh, Captain James Nelson, if uh, people want to get a hold of you to take a trip out on San Diego or immediate offshore area. How's the best way to do it? Well, they could always reach me online or at fishicon.com or try me on the phone, 619-395-0799. All right. Thank you, James Nelson, the Fish Icon. Hey, guys, that's the end of the first hour of Rod and Reel Radio. Coming up next, pro angler Dean Rojas. Stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the Bassmaster Classic. We're going to be talking about Dean's record making catch, and a lot more to come. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows is trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at 
www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's fakey fluorescent pink bait or drag my hula popper through the mud i will outmaneuver drought exposed stumps rocks and submerged station wagons and outsmart the ravenous river otter i will save water by taking shorter showers for higher lakes and i will always always wear my life jacket what's your h2o tell us at boatcalifornia.com the california state parks division of boating and waterways reminds you to wear it california Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Real Radio. Hey, now it's my pleasure to introduce to you a friend of yeah, Ron Real Radio, an individual that Stan, Wendy, and I have known for a, a long, long time. He, again, is going to be fishing in the 2016 Bassmaster Classic. He's been fishing the tour now for well, well over 17 years. He's a local product from Southern California here. He's a guy that can say he's truly a pro angler, and you're never going to find him running his hula popper through the mud Mr. Dean Rojas. Dean, how you doing, sir? Good evening, everyone. How are you all doing tonight? Hey, we're, we're doing, doing fine. Great. You know, you might run a hula popper through the mud if you just put a lip on it. <laughs> yeah, I know, Stan, but I'll be catching a lot, a lot of mud with that hula popper. I'm in trouble with hanging down. <laughs> hey, Dean, we want to welcome you to the show. There's, there's so many reasons why I wanted to have you on the show at, at, at this time, but, you know, the, the first thing is, we are coming on up, or maybe we've just passed it, the 15th anniversary of a time that was really special in your heart and was a, a, a really watershed time for Bassmaster. And, and, and why don't you tell us a little bit what you're celebrating the 15th anniversary of? Well, every year since 2001, uh, January 17th has always been a day that I celebrated. That was the uh, the day that I broke the one-day uh, five-fish record in a BSS event uh, at 45 pounds and two ounces uh, for a single-day catch. And uh, it still holds the record today uh, for being the largest five-bass ever weighed in in a bass tournament by one angler. There have they've been some team tournaments the guys have, have eclipsed that, but... Uh, not on, at the highest level where I fish, and um, it's been close. A couple of the guys have gotten real close to it. They had a 44-pound stringer and a 42, I think. Aaron had a 42. So it's, it's, been, uh, it's been challenged a few times, but um, it's it, it stayed out on top uh, for the last uh, 15 years. So it's, it's a day I celebrate every year, and, um, and uh, I toast for one, for one more year. <laughs> Indeed, it, it, it just seems amazing. Fifteen years ago, back, you know, 
January. Can, can you take us a little bit back to that time? And I know a, a lot of water has gone under the bridge, but we've got a lot of new anglers that are with us that are, that are thinking, holy mackerel, one guy catches 45 pounds of fish, not just fun fishing, but in an elite-style tournament where you're fishing against, you know, a hundred of the best fat bass fishermen in the country. Bring us back to that time and, and tell us a, a little bit about what happened on that day. Well, back then it was, it was 150 anglers that, that we fished against across the United States, you know, for the, the tour. And uh, ESPN was in the process of purchasing bass at, the, at that time. So that, that was the, the initial explosion of bass, professional bass fishing and getting, you know, to the level of ESPN and getting the TV coverage that we needed at that time. And I was only, that was my third, third year into in, in fishing professionally. You know, I was living here in Lake Havasu at the time. Um, and uh, basically going into that event, I was uh, doing very poor. I was in the 114th place going into that event after three events, and basically was just fighting for my life, my livelihood. Uh, everything was, um, you know, just hinging on on whatever I could do to try and you know survive the you know the, the season um, because it's been you know I mean living in Havasu and going to Florida, that's 2,200 miles to get there. Uh, so I had a lot of time to think about how I was going to approach the lake and everything. So. Um, you know, I spent uh, almost three days trying to get down there, but I, you know, I had a, a pretty clear mind on what I wanted to do. I, uh, uh, and what was a big key was Shaw Grigsby had won an event there the same time last year or the, or the year before that, excuse me. And so I had a, an idea, you know, it was sight fishing. Um, you know, those are all Florida strain down there. And, you know, as you know, that's all we fish out here is Florida strain and they get real big and, and they get real finicky at times. But I felt like that was my my biggest advantage that I had over a lot of those guys is I understood the Florida strain a lot more than the rest of the field. So, but prior to we got down there, uh, Florida had an unseasonably cold weather for like a month. Um, you know, it was in the thirties, which is rare for down there. And, uh, for the whole month of December and into January. And that week we got there, it had just finally started to warm up. So those fish down in Florida, they usually start spawning around November, November and December, uh, is, is a big, big couple months for them down there well it, it had been so cold that they all those fish had been holding off and holding off and holding off well then the week we get down there it gets in the high 70s uh we have a lot of fog we have a lot of you know high pressure you know just you know really still conditions perfect sight fishing conditions um and all of those big fish just went right to the bank and it was the biggest mass movement i've ever seen in my life of of just monster bass uh, swimming around the shallows and and just incredible, um, just you know, just watching each one of those fish that I caught that day bite my white lizard and inhale it, you know, and I just remember my knees were knocking every time the biggest <laughs> nine or ten pounder would come up and eat my lizard, you know. I just it was it was surreal in a way, um, and and it, it it was scary at times because you know when you when you get them worked like that and they they actually bite your bait, I mean you're just like man, I'm either going to catch this thing or I'm going to lose it. You know, it's going to be on right now, you know. So you try to do everything you can to, you know, for a good hook set and fight the fish and, and get them in the boat. So uh, I had one of those days that was just purely magic. Um, you know, I wish everybody could experience that. I think a lot of people have experienced that on maybe a smaller level, but still been in the way where they've caught 20 or 30, you know, pounds of fish uh, for, for five days, had their best, their best day ever. You know, I, mine just happens to be a, a little bit higher than that. 
but it, it's a special feeling, and uh, you know, it's something I cherish. And, and you know, to this day, I, I can still relive that entire day. Uh, I know all the little details that went on that day. I know exactly. I, I mean, I can envision in my mind uh, how everything looked and how everything acted. It's still 15 years later. It's, it's you know, incredible. Dean, uh, uh, I know you have young eyes, but I've, I've had the opportunity to be on that lake, Lake Toho, and it is as black as a bucket of tar on the bottom of the lake. How the heck did you ever see the fish? Well, again, um, we, they had really cold water, and whenever you have really cold water, it kills everything. It kills the algae. It kills everything. Yep. You don't have a lot of debris in the water. So it, it, was, it was clearer than it's ever been uh, during that time, and so... That's where I was able to see them. Yeah, there were there were some places where it got black tannic water where you really couldn't see, uh, you know, real 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 good. But whenever they would make a clearing, it was big white circles, so it was very you know easy to you know see <laughs> the bass down there. Yeah, I'm I'm smiling ear to ear here. I can't listen to you to talk here. For one, Dean, you know, as a bass fisherman, if you have days when you win. Um, mm-hmm. A tournament and, and everything goes right because everything has to go right and and yep. but sometimes it just feels like it was easy and to be able to be in a situation that you were in there is, is pretty spectacular for one you know having the weather you know where it was cold all the way up till prior to your getting there and then and having everything where the water clears up too is that that's a really nice little little thing to have happen and having the knowledge of how to uh, search for the the uh, Florida strain fish that we fish for out here that are really temperamental, mm-hmm. but they can move in a heartbeat. I mean, all of that just plays into this, which is fun to listen to from my side. I'm just going, man, what a cool deal that would have been. <laughs> well, it was. Everybody calls it the, the, the perfect storm because I mean everything was was right. We had no wind. We had no clouds. We had high sun. You know, and the average depth there is four or five feet, and it's oh, at the bottom is black, so it, it heats up very, very quickly uh, there in Florida. Um, but, it, you know, on those big clearings and stuff, you would always see, whenever the big ones would come in, the whole, you know, the big round circle of white would turn black because those big things would come rolling in there, and they just everything would get black. Man. Uh, you know, those big females would come in, and it was just, it was incredible to watch it. Um did you actually call fish that day? Yeah, John, I caught, um, uh, I, I ended up calling two bass that day. But after I caught the 10, 12, and the 9, I caught a, uh, a 3 and a 2. And I went down further in the canal, and I hooked a 6-pounder in a lily pad patch. And, and usually, you know... You're not you're not thankful that you've lost a six pounder, but I end up I end up losing that fish, and it, it came back to where I end up you know catching another ten pounder and then an, and then a and then an eight and a half to fill out my limit you know the forty five, <laughs> but it, but just listen if if I if if I would have weighed that that six pounder that I would have lost and not caught the eight pounder, then I I would have only weighed about forty four pounds or forty three pounds and the, the record would would have been broken. Uh, well, to Terry Scroggins came in within within a pound of breaking that that record uh, down at Falcon, but that didn't happen. Um, so I ended up catching uh, you know the forty five and and 
it well, was you know, uh, incredible that day. You know, it, when it comes to the fishing tournaments, especially over the course of two or three days, you know, it turns out that sometimes you're the pigeon, sometimes you're the, the statue. You, you've got to fish consistently for three days, especially with uh, a field like you were fishing against. How did the rest of the tournament go for you? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was I was really fighting for my life. I mean, uh, you know, I was just wanting to get a check down there. So after, you know, three days down there and then an event of four, four days, you know, like, like 28 pounds the year before got a check, okay? So after I catch two 10-pounders, you know, and, and I'm eight, I already have, I'm, I'm ecstatic because I'm getting a check, you know? So I have no idea that of, of winning the event uh, to the, the record itself, Um I caught 45 pounds the first day, and I caught 34 the second day, and uh, and then I end up. Uh, then we had then of course a front came through like it always does, and I end up catching 15 and a half on the third day, and on the last day I caught you know just over 13 pounds uh, for a total of 108 12 uh, was my four day total, which for me exciting wise you know I actually won a bass event my very first one ever. Um, you know, at, and at the time, I remember I had uh, I had, had dinner with uh, Denny Brower back, back then. We we, uh, we we shared a sponsor at that time, and I told him I said, "Look, all I want to do is win the event. All I, you know, that's all I care about." And you know, this is only we're, we're in, the, in the day two or day three of, of that event. And he looked at me. He goes, "You don't know what you've done, do you?" I said, "No, I just want to win the bass event." He goes, he goes "You're going to win this one," and he says, "And you're going to win a lot more of them." He says, "But." None of those will ever matter because everybody will remember that day that you caught the 45 pounds. Oh, man. And, hey, and we are speaking with Dean Rojas. We're kind of going down memory lane a little bit on his record set in catch back in 2011 and, and his uh, third year of fishing uh, professional uh, uh, BASS. Dean, a uh, lot more to speak to you about. Can you stay with us for a little bit longer, please? We've got to oh, take a break to, right yeah. now. Heck yeah. No, All right. Yeah, I got a question or two. <laughs> yeah, hey, we got Dean Rojas with us. We're going to keep him on, hopefully, for the whole hour. He doesn't know that yet, so we'll we'll try to let him know later on. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we're talking bass fishing, and we're talking fishing in general. Stay tuned. More to come on Rod and Reel Radio after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at 
www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those of you who are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity, we have twin six ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook. Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. And welcome back to Rod and Real Radio. Hey, we've got Dean Rojas with us. We've stepped into the Wayback Machine and gone back to 2001. And we're reliving a record event that Dean was involved in. It was absolutely a classic day on the Bass uh, Master Tour. And, and Dean, you you wound up winning the tournament. At that time, it was the heaviest weight to ever take a BASS tournament. Uh, a BASS tournament. You were you were fishing the uh, uh, the circuit. You were kind of holding on by the skin of your teeth. Was this the the watershed moment for you when it when it came to tournament bass fishing, or was it a series of events that you could say that really turned the tide for you? Well, at the time, you know, uh, I didn't know what was ahead of me, but at that time, like I said, it was uh, it was a scary time. You know, I was trying trying to make it as a as a, as a professional, and uh, things were looking pretty bleak, you know, for that. But um, it's amazing how things happen, you know, in your life and your career. You put yourself in positions like that to where you know something comes along, you're able to take advantage of it. And you know, a little a little information after I won the Toho event, uh, our very next event on Toledo Bend, uh, I won that one also. Back-to-back. It was a uh, a back to back you know win on on the Bassmaster uh, Tour. Uh, which was very rare. Uh, that That's happened. hard to do at, in any tournament. <laughs> I know. So it, for for and you know and and for me, it, all of a sudden it was just a huge tidal wave of momentum that all of a sudden you know you just kind of 
fall into the groove and it just catapults you. You know, and every decision you make on the water is the right one. Uh, your, your your choice of baits, your choice of patterns, everything's just falling in your lap. You know, and, you, and you're you're just you have so much confidence and so much momentum that you just you're like a, a freight train, man. And it's the greatest feeling in the world. Uh, you know, when when you're competing at that level, to have that kind of momentum um, just driving you and. I uh, had a fantastic year, you know, in, in 2001. I almost won Angle of the Year uh, because I ended up finishing in second and then a third in the next two events after that. It was an incredible run. Um, you know, and, and, and at that time, you know, it, it helped me solidify my career, you know, in basis of the sponsorship stuff. Uh, in the <laughs> I hope to shout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> but but that's how it all it all uh, got you know that, that 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 was the whole baseline that that really catapulted my whole career. Now, now, well, then, I'm going to talk about that, and I'm going to go back to that. But I want to go back to the tournament itself. When you got into pre fishing, and you started you know looking around out there on the lake, and you know it, it, obviously it's not one of the lakes you you have huge knowledge of because it's too big to, to have that knowledge and and to have ongoing knowledge. To, because of the cold weather, all of a sudden we've got all new environment situation happen that the other guys aren't used to also. So when you're, you're pre-fishing out there, mm-hmm. did you find this big fish uh, moving the days, you know, while you're pre-fishing? Stan, that's a great question. That's what I guess I get asked all the time. Where I end up catching the fish in the one canal, I went there the very first morning of the official practice day, and I'll never forget going through there just big clearings. Just, I mean, you know, and you, and you look at it, you're like, man, are those carp? You know, those, you know how carp will get on the bottom and those oh, or something else. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm like, man, is that? Are, I wonder if those are carp. That, that's a bet. I mean, I'm like, that's a bet. That's a bet. That looks exactly like it. But it was a ghost town, Stan. There was nobody there. And and I went really on your on your feet. days of pre fishing. There was nobody in there. There was nobody in there, and there was oh. the fish weren't there. Well, the, the, then I saw a little male, you know, kind of scoop by about a thirteen incher, and I'm like, that dude was on a bed. So <laughs> I told myself I'm going to come back to this spot on the last afternoon of official practice. So, and uh, of course, it was warming up on that Monday, and it warmed up all day Tuesday and Wednesday. I went, I went back in there about about twelve thirty on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, of course, our meeting was at like five. But I wanted to stay late because I want you know if they had moved up I wanted to be ready for them and my God Stan when I went in there the where I caught the ten twelve um, just and the canal is not very wide it's maybe sixty feet wide seventy feet wide maybe mm-hmm. and but on the other side there was three nine pounders that were that were on beds <laughs> that were about twenty feet apart and uh, it was it was the most incredible thing that I've ever seen in my life of, of the amount of big fish that have that just went to the bank and they were. They were mean, they were aggressive, you know, and they were beautiful fish. I mean, there was not a mark on them. Um, you know, it was just incredible. So I found those fish on the last day of practice on the third day. So, so did you sleep <laughs> that <laughs> night? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, you know, that's a whole story in itself. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you know, at the time I was, I was like, well, I know I can catch one of those fish, you know, and I, was, and I saw another angler in there. Yeah, and I thought, well, you know, it's all going to depend on my boat draw. Hopefully, I can get in there quick and grab one of those big ones. Again, I'm thinking 24 pounds is the mark. Okay, if I can get one nine pounder, I'm halfway there, and I got two more days of fishing. So, the 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 mindset back then is a lot different than it is now because then I was fighting for a check and fighting for my life. 
I would have took a 50th place finish and, and be high fiving everybody, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. I, just, I mean, I was that's just the way it was, you know. And, and well, I get it. <laughs> well, Dean, you've been on an incredible journey uh, since uh, 2001, but you know, also as I understand wow. it, the boat that you were ha- that you were using at that time that's kind of gone on an interesting journey too. Tell us about that. The boat that I that I broke the the, re- the record on um, after that event uh, about a month yeah a month after right after the event I sold to a, a friend of mine uh, named Rick Barnes uh, that that lived here in, in San Diego and um, and he he kept the boat for me he had it um, and then he ended up moving to Alabama he took the boat back to Alabama and, and I, I keep my rig there at his house all the time so I got to see the boat you know that I broke the record in. Many many times over the last you know ten years and so forth and so and uh, and I told him I said look I said if you have, you know the last few years I said if you ever decide to sell it or want to get rid of it I said I'd be interested in purchasing it back from you uh, just to, to have the boat back again and and so he goes oh that'd be great that'd be great so he was eyeing my my new boat that I use on tour and so we ended up making a deal and and we we, we uh, swapped boats and a little bit of cash and. And uh, it all worked out really good. I got the the world record boat back. It's here in Lake Havasu right now, and it's kind of it's kind of eerie in a way, sitting in that seat again and, and being in that boat um, and looking in those in the you know, behind me in the live wells, knowing that that's where the forty five pounds of bass were sitting in. Uh, you know, going into weigh in that day, uh, special special time, and well, all the, all the videos, all the still photography that you see me in the boat. I have the boat here and have it right now. Well, it was it was a special boat, Dean, because I know one of the things that you did, and Rick was able to preserve. You actually autographed the cowling of the console of that boat, and I know Rick was able to preserve it. Is it still that way? Yes, it is. Uh, he uh, I signed it uh, right right when I sold it to him back in two thousand one. It's a little faded right now, but. You, you can you can still read it, uh, but that's where um, I autographed the boat, and he put a clear uh, clear uh, coat um, vinyl over the top of it to preserve it. And um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's just so uh, cool. It's, I'm going to have to talk to you. You know, after the show, I got a story. <laughs> I, I I did kind of the same thing with a different boat, but um, there is an. Do you find and this is just a, a bass fisherman's question here? You know, there are boats that catch fish better than others. Yeah. Was that a yes? Yes, yes, you're correct, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, that's just purely a bass fisherman's question because you know, both of us got boats, new boats every year, and I had boats that caught fish and I had boats that didn't catch fish. Yeah. And I ended up you know, buying a he, boat back from a guy that I caught a lot of fish in. I won yeah. I won six tournaments in two years, and I won four straight out of that same boat. So, mm-hmm. and and I don't care where you're fishing. And when we were talking earlier, when when Dean said he won two straight, it, it's hard to win two straight. And I don't care what event series you're fishing against the group of guys you're fishing with. There are always there's always talent in any tournament series. And I don't care whether it's the elites or the the local series you're fishing against the guys that are all tough on their local lakes to win two in a row is tougher than nails to win two on the elite series is phenomenal to have the day that you had <laughs> where you bought your talking because you had to be your your heart had to be pumping you know through your 
throat there when you yeah, pulled into the area. After, and you I, caught the, after I caught the, 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 fourth, the fourth big one, I had 40 pounds in the boat, and I just, in my mind, I keep going over the weights, and I'm like, man, I got 40 pounds, and I'm like, no, there ain't no way you have 40 pounds. You don't have <laughs> 40 pounds of bass, okay? You don't. Yeah, 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 no, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. God, man, <laughs> so, I got 40 pounds. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm well, sitting there arguing with myself in the boat over how much weight I got. <laughs> And I got one more three pounder that I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I've got two and a half more hours. And, and by that time, I was like, you know what? I, usually, you know, when you're in these events, you, you try to, you know, manage the fish. You know, think I got four days, but I was on a pace, and it just, it just kept rolling. And, and I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to stop because I had nothing. I mean, you got to understand, my, my financial situation was really bad. I mean, I had that. That was it for me. I mean, I had to. I mean, it was a last resort. So I just said, "The heck with it! I'm going to burn it up and do the best I can, and I'll try and figure out the you know the rest of it after 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 day one because I burned up all the big ones." Well, and so you well, go, you know, but that, and the, and day two going out, you're going, "Man, I hope I get, I hope I find a method." And day two, you got good fish. Yeah, after I that, had, I, had I mean, how far pounder. how far ahead were you on day two? Uh, well, Aaron had uh, I think uh, I forget. Uh, you know, Stan, I don't even know. I think it was like 10, 10 or 12 pounds, but I know yeah. going into the last day, I had an 18-pound lead. Well, at it. that point in time, I just want to catch one. I'm going to go have a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're still looking over your shoulder. I bet you, well, Dean, you were thinking, i got to fish well here. Even though I'm 18 pounds ahead with the fish that are coming out of here, there's still someone and, that can catch me. Yeah, John, I was it. terrified every day because I knew what was out there. You know, and and here I am. I'm just you know these guys are seasoned veterans. I'm thinking, heck, if I can catch 45, they're going to catch 50 or 55 pounds. You know, I mean, yeah, somebody's going to have a 65 just, pound limit. Call it Dana Rosen. Hey, Dean, just one more thing about the boat. Uh, back in 2001, you were using that Skeeter boat. It was state of the art. You're you've got it now. You fished out of a lot of boats. Does that boat really feel significantly different than the boats that you're fishing out of now? Yeah, I mean, you got, you know, 15 years of, of uh, technology. newer technology. Uh, the stuff we use now, we use a, you know, a four-stroke Yamaha now. Back then it was a, you know, it was a, just a regular fuel injection Yamaha 225. We run a 250 now. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is the noise. Uh, the, the motors back then were a lot louder than they are today. Our four-strokes now are very quiet, uh, you know, when we're, we're driving down the lake. So that's the... It, you know, and I don't know if it, that just makes you feel like you're going faster because the the motor's louder, <laughs> but the boat the boat itself feels freer, and, and and I say that in a way that the boats nowadays are like driving like Cadillacs. They're 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 very very push button. They don't do anything stupid. You know, they're really just you know they're you get them, you hit the gas, and and they just they go. Well, back then those were those were fast boats that were touchy. And you could feel everything, you know, in, the, in, in your butt when you're driving the thing because it, it just you felt every little turn, every little wake, and everything. And, and so the, the boats are different in that aspect of it, but still a lot of fun to drive. You're exactly correct. I mean, you it, the boats where the speed came into it and the hulls weren't up to the speed, you felt yep. everything, and you were you had to completely drive the boat and kind of hope that everything went right and you didn't do anything wrong. I, I had a chance to drive the the Skeeter with a 250 show a while back, and I got off the water, and I had, well, I had a buddy with me that when I hit the dock down, and uh, I was on one of the San Diego lakes, and 
I uh, I go. He goes. Well, let's just go out and drive the boat, and and, uh, and then you come back and pick me up. And I said that's fine. So I went out and drove the boat around, and after the the gentleman that took me out with the boat showed me, you know, what the boat would do. I said, get out of there. Let me drive this thing. So I drove it around, and I started driving it, and I'm driving it. For about 20 minutes, I'm putting it through the paces, and I am having a blast with this new yeah. boat. Yeah. I mean, I really was having a good time. And he tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, are you going to go back and pick up your buddy? I go, oh, yeah, I forgot all about him because I was having <laughs> such a good time. I got off the water at the end of the day and had a great day of fishing with these guys. I enjoyed every part of the boat. I mean, I really... I was inside all the lockers and all the wells. I looked under the boat and over the boat and every every sequence of it. And I got off the water and on the drive home, I called Dean. I go, Dean, I got to ask you some questions about this because I just drove this new boat, and I mean it was it was as fun a boat and and as good a great a time driving a boat as I've had, and I can't even tell you how long. I mean, it was really a fun event for me. And I I get to drive a lot of different boats and play with a lot of different you know technology that's out there. But but he and he goes and I ask him I go how is it, how is that boat versus the the newest one on the market and whatever else? And he goes Stan that was my boat. I go you're kidding because it had no stress cracks no problems in it. But I'll tell you what the technology of today's boats and and the people that and well not all of them but the companies that have kept up with the technology of horsepower and how to drive it through the waters have done a great job. And, and they, I'll tell you what, that was a fun event for me. I had a great time driving the boat and you're right. You know, what, <clears throat> where you had to really drive the boats. Um, there are a few manufacturers that have done a good job and there are others that are still back in the kind of dark ages as far as I'm concerned. But, your that boat and that motor have done a great job. Yamaha's done a great job, and Skeeter's done a great job of performance uh, and making the thing work the right way. It makes my job so much easier, Stan, when you have the right equipment that just runs and runs and runs and runs. And I mean, there are no, times where I take my hand off the job, steering man. wheel, we're doing seventy miles an hour, and the guy at Marshall looks over at me and he just shakes his head. I go, "What?" You know, just because the boat just sits there, you know, and it yeah. just drives itself. It doesn't. It doesn't want to do anything stupid or dumb, and. And, you know, and I, and I can relax and think about what I'm going to do I'm, you know, when I pull up to my spot and just kind of, I'm not fighting the boat. And it just, it makes my job so much easier to have such good, good, hey good guys, equipment. You guys are making my job hard. Uh, we got to take a break right now. <laughs> Dean, uh, can you uh, hold us, uh, hold on for uh, another segment? Sure. Yeah. Hey, we're speaking with pro angler Dean Rojas. Hopefully we can talk uh uh, a little bit about the upcoming uh, Bassmaster Classic, and we'll talk uh, about uh, some of the brands that have Dean Rojas's name on it. You may want to hear about that. Stan, Wendy, and I will be back after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, Bass Fisherman, who do you call for your Bass Boat Insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. 
1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program. It is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for BASSBOAT insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. My angler H2Earth. Like the mighty flounder, I will keep one eye on the pole and the other watching for rogue waves. I'll save water by taking shorter showers and enthusiastically celebrate talk like a pirate day. Aye. I will chat up the locals before launching in unfamiliar waters. And I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. It's tuna time, and it's time to reserve your spot on one of the newest boats in the fleet, the 70-foot Sea Adventure 2 at H&M Landing in San Diego. It has a really comfortable galley that seats up to 24 passengers with all the comforts of home, including two big satellite flat-screen TVs and satellite phone. The huge new bait tank and slammer ensure plenty of bait for everyone, and two four-ton refrigerated fish holds, both RSW and blast-free, have plenty of room to keep your catch as fresh as the minute you caught it. Reserve your spot on the Sea Adventure or two online at hmlanding.com or call H&M Landing at 619-222-1144. Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. We do have exciting news for you. Rod Real Radio is now available as a podcast that you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitchers, or your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Rod Real Radio and subscribe. You'll get notifications of new episodes when they become available or download past shows. You can listen anytime now that you want to to Rod and Real Radio. So we appreciate that very much, guys. Hey, we are with Dean Rojas. And, and Dean, we've got the 2016 Bassmaster Classic coming on up. And I know that you cannot make it there without the help of a lot of sponsors. And... I think you were one of the forerunners when it came to actually helping a sponsor develop a product. It seemed like, uh, you know, before you came on with, with Spro, you'd find a manufacturer, they'd develop a product, they'd have a, a pro staff, and they'd put the, the staff member's name on it, and then it, it would go up as a dump-to-dump type lure. But I know in the beginning with Spro, because uh, I was part a little bit uh, with it, that you would not let them release a product unless it had your sign sealed and delivered approval, and you kept on tweaking it. And I remember the frog, when it first came out, was was almost eight months behind the original release date because it wasn't the way you wanted it. And I'm sure that's happening with a lot of other products that you're branding right now. Yeah, so much when I got when I first started in the industry and you know on the pro ranks. The only time uh, a pro angler would endorse something was usually after he won the Bassmasters Classic. 
is when you know he would give it what it was worn on a spinner bait, like a Hank Parker deal, or JLS one on a jig, you know, or Denny one on a tube, but whatever it might be, that was always the the start of you know a pro endorsed uh, bait, you know, or design that they were using and so forth. And you would have companies that would build something and they say, okay, we would like to put your name on it. Will you endorse this? And da da da. Back then, so when this whole thing came about with the frog in two thousand and four. Um, I, you know, at the classic at Wiley, when I was using a uh, sumo frog, which was heavily flawed, it, I was just trying to do the best I could with it, but it had a really good hook on it for that for that era of you know frogging. So after that event, um, you know, that was when I, you know I got approached by a lot of the companies when I almost won the classic with it uh, to build one, but I needed to have the right hook. And then John, you were in, you were a big part of that. And introduced me to Gamagatsu and to Spro and, and and all that stuff too. So that's how that came about. And then they came to me and said, "We want you to build a frog." And I said, "Well, okay, we're going to do this, this, and that." He says, "Well, you have free reign of all of our vendors, all of our resources, and so forth. I want do not come back until this thing is right. And we will wait and we'll wait and we'll wait and wait until it's right." So uh, from the time that I drew up on a piece of paper. Until I had a finished product in my hand was over 15 months, um, and I, I didn't get a actual bait in my hand probably for about eight months after the classic there. So you know, and then I had to refine it, and then we had to you know add it, and you know, and just we we just kept working on it, working on it, because I knew that I was only to get one crack at it, and I wanted to make the best that was out there that that the fishermen could you know feel comfortable in going out there and, and catching fish on it. It was going to look really good in the water. It was going to have the right action in the water, and it was going to be durable, and it was going to be all these right things that I wanted to, you know, to make a great bait. And you know, here we are. We're 12 years later, and it's still the number one selling frog in the, in, in, in the world. And um, you know, and it just shows, you know, if you spend the time, you put the right, you know, effort and design and everything. You know, you know, it'll it'll be good. So I I do that with all of my companies now. All of a sudden, they all want. Me design whatever they all want. What what happened at Spro? You know, with them uh, to happen to them also. So it, it's very difficult, you know, trying to come up and it takes time, uh, you know, to develop these baits and so forth. And not all of them work. You know, there are times when we've had flops, and there are times where we've hit home runs. You know, and you know, and so you know, you just you just keep working at it and keep working at it, and then you're, you're going to hit one every, every now and again. You know, trying to. For people out there that are listening, they're going, well, you know, what's really the difference between the frog? What can you do? Like when you start, <clears throat> when the guy used to buy a frog, he used to take the frog and and he'd have to, the frog had, you know, the, a big double hook in it and, and it had a lot of rubber bands coming out the back end for the legs and, and, and you had to look at the frog and then you had to, sometimes the guys would change the colors on it or mark a lot of it up to make the, Looked the right way for what they wanted to fish, and and then you know there was something about having a frog sink if he fished it for a little while it would fill up with water yeah, and you'd have yeah. to drain it out and, or shake it out or swing it around and get the water out of it. I mean there was a lot to the little innuendos that when you fish a frog if you want it to work the right way, to making it you know to where you could fish it consistently without having to to drain the water out of it or change the legs or whatever you needed to do. So coming up with the right frog and that the I gotta give you credit, buddy, it's a working frog and that's why yeah, everybody it, likes you know, it. It's, it's, you don't have to change it. It's the fine details is is the weight in the back. I mean 
finding yep. that right balance because explain if it's that really first. Heavy, it's explain what you're talking about with the weight. Well, the weight in, in the, the back of the frog is, is is crucial in the position of it where it's at in the belly of the frog, if it's going to lay forward or lay back. Um, so that's really critical. And you have you know the hooks coming out on the bottom, so you got to make sure it's sitting there. Uh, to where it doesn't get in the way, you know, because all this, I'm thinking about five different things, you know, every time we make a change, is it going to affect the hookup ratio? Is the bait going to collapse? Is it going to take on more water? I mean, I have a list of things every time we make a change, is it going to affect this? Is it going to affect that? You know, so it's not just, hey, we're going to build it, and here it is, and da-da-da-da. I mean, you really got to look at everything, because if you put too much weight in that thing, it's going to sink, you know, yep. and it's going to take on water, and it's going to, it's not going to work right, and, and, and so many, so much of that is, is what, all that going back and forth and, you know, and the, the durability of the plastic, you know, we didn't want them to tear. Uh, we didn't want them to, you know, to crack or to break or anything like that. So, um, you know, and there was a few things that we had to do, you know, and, and after, uh, you know, after a year out with the frog, you know, we were, we had to end up gluing up, uh, glue, uh, it sealed tight up, up by the nose, by the, the line tie. I mean, there yep. were little things that we had to do to, you know, to make it better uh, than what it was, but the initial design is still one that's that's copied and mocked um, throughout you know the whole fishing industry. And you know, I never claimed to be the frog master guy who ever created this. I, I just I took the concept and made it better. You know, um, I know Bobby Barrick is a phenomenal frog fisherman, and, and you know they do it up there in Northern California. And I have all the respect in the world for those guys and everything. But I throw it differently than they do. I do different things, and, and the, the frog I design is, is different. Than, than say a snag proof and you know and what what they use up there. So okay, well let's talk about that for a second here while while we're talking. You know, Bobby Bobby Barrick. You know, you're both kind of in the same realm as, in the way that you built the the frog that that wouldn't sink because the old frog a frog is a hollow piece of plastic with that's got a a spot for this two hook on the back end to go through the back end and then they'd tie some uh, rubber bands on the back end to make it some legs, and, and the eye would go through the nose of it. But the problem was that the, the water would come in through both the nose and through the leg holes. So everybody ended up tying thread, like with the uh, fly-tying uh, bobbin. They would tie off the back end so that it wouldn't leak water through the holes where the hooks came out and where the rubber bands came through on this frog. And then you'd have an area on the front end where the hook came out, but water would come in there too, and eventually your frog would fill with water and it would sink. The guys got to the point where, okay, I want to, I'm going to tie off the legs in the back end and maybe put some glue on it so it wouldn't leak in the back, and they left the front alone. And, and then they started wanting noise, so they put rattles or BBs or something in there so that, the one, you could cast it further and more accurate because of the weight, because the frog didn't weigh anything. And especially this hollow piece of plastic with just a hook. So all of the, the components of this this bait that we're throwing out there, trying to make it work the right way, and some of the guys wanted it to walk like it's a spruik. Mm-hmm. Others wanted it to go in a straight line. So mm-hmm. take it from there. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, it's, uh, again, you know, any time you add BBs, you're adding weight to the frog, you know, yep. and you're, you're, you're affecting everything uh, to, to the bait itself. and. And so, there are, you know, and, and I, believe me, Stan, I get tons of emails and photographs of people of all the, the alterations they've done to their frog, and it's, you know, it's the latest and greatest, best thing ever, you know, and, 
and it works well for them, you know. And so, and, and I, I encourage that, you know. That that that's a, that's really good because that's innovation, and I'm all about innovation. If we can make it better, let's make it better. Yeah, find um, out what know, this, this, this. Some guys have a great idea. I got to admit, hey, that's a good idea. Well, you know, I could tell you just a quick story. I, I was at Dean's uh, house uh, one evening in uh, Lake Havasu, and some prototype frogs had come to him, and he was really excited to get to these frogs because it was something he had worked on for a long time. And, and Dean happened to make the comment that it's, you know, how you work the frogs. So he ties these frogs up. They weren't colored or anything like that. They were Caltrans orange. And we get in the pool, and he's throwing it, and he's hitting the back of the pool, and he's working the rod, and, and this frog is jumping and swishing back and forth and popping and doing all this kind of stuff and he's making this thing dance like you've never seen a frog before and he does it a couple of three times and man this frog is just chugging along and then he gives me the rod and reel and he goes john give it a try so i take it i cast i'm lucky that i can hit the water more than anything else and i'm trying to do all these things with the tip of the the rod and the frog is going kablunk kablunk and Dean looks at me and he goes, "Boy, you don't throw a frog that often, do you?" <laughs> hey, Dean, we've used up. I'm sorry, but we we've used up all the time. We haven't had a chance to get to all the sponsors and, and the 2016 Bassmaster Classic. But quickly, the sponsors that have helped get you to where you are today. Uh, well, uh, Gander Mountain is my my big corporate sponsor. Uh, they're a big big retailer on the East Coast and throughout the Central U.S. and of course, Skeeter Yamaha been with them for over 20 years. They've been there since the very beginning. Uh, Gamagatu and Spro, you know, obviously long, long uh, relationships there. Been wonderful with my frog and big bite baits. Um, you know, power poles, uh, motor guide trolling motors. I got ducket fishing rods and reels. I do a fantastic job for me. And uh, Sunline, my, my fishing line's awesome. It's the best in the world. Uh, Gill out, out, Gill um, outerwear. It's the uh, stuff that I wear. You see me at the Classic all bundled up in. It keeps me nice and warm and comfortable. So I've got a great group of companies that, that support me. Lawrence does a great job with all my electronics and so forth. They keep me up to date on everything. And just a great, great um, host of, of companies that I've had long relationships with uh, throughout my whole career. And I'm grateful uh, to have John Cassidy as a close personal friend of mine. And I thank you for everything you've, you've ever done for me. Uh, Dean, I I tell you, you're uh, you're a guy that makes us all look good. So uh, it's all you're doing for sure. And I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk about the classic. Can you come on back and we'll talk a little bit about it because it's it's happy, uh, happening February second or third on Grand Lake uh, outside of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and you know, we, I've got so many questions here. We got questions from listeners that they want to ask you. We didn't get to you, so you're going to have to come back, Dean. Well, I, I would love to, and, and the, the next time I want to talk about the classic, I want to tell you how I won the 2016 Bassmasters Classic. Let's now, you know, there, there you go, buddy. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Dean Rojas, professional angler. Dean, thanks for taking some of your Sunday night to be with us. Uh, always great to have you on the show. My pleasure, John. And, Stan, you take care of yourself. John, thank you for the opportunity, and, and uh, wish everyone nothing but the best. All right. That was a fun, buddy. All the best. Go get them. Hey, guys and gals, that's it for tonight. Wendy, you have yourself a great week. Thanks a lot for, you know, being there at the uh, uh, the Bay Bass Tournament and greeting all the Rod and Reel radio listeners. Well, and I will talk to you guys next week. All right, Stan, you have a good week, too, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again uh, next Sunday night.
Hey, on behalf of Stan and Wendy, guys, that's it. We want to thank uh, Jorge and the uh, AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our, our local engineer here, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McCune. we got to sign off for right now. You all have a great night. Thanks a lot for listening to us. Go out in the water and get them, as uh, Kevin Minio used to say, they're getting away. We'll see you on the water. We're out for now. Good night, everybody.